Let me pray first before I read. Our Father, we do want to thank you that when we read your Bible, we don't read any normal book. We are reading about you. And through reading and thinking and understanding and the work of your Holy Spirit, you can help us to be like you. We pray that is how it will be tonight as we study the Bible and are changed by what we read and hear. And we pray your help in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 21. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. Now I'm going to read verses 12 to 14. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And now lastly, I'm going to read verses 28 and 29. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to go to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. Well, let's stop and let the children leave and we'll have a moment for that to happen. Well, children have left and so therefore we can uh, uh, go on at uh, breakneck speed. We have to because there's a big chapter and we need to learn lots from it. But as we start the chapter, we might say, what is God interested in? For us, what does God want for people who follow Him? And I'm hoping that uh, the picture will tell you He wants His people to enjoy a life of freedom. Look, remember, just before this chapter, 
just 50 days before this chapter, God's people were oppressed slaves in the land of Egypt. Life was horrible for them. And now they are set free and they are there to enjoy their freedom. And the way to understand the free life that God gives his people is to understand what God is like himself. Because all the Christian life is, is an outworking of what God has done for us. So we keep on enjoying what God has done for us. Uh, when I was in the army, we had uh, compasses. We had to go out and uh, find our way to different places. And uh, the good thing about the compass is there's always a magnetic north needle that points the way to the north, and then you can see where you're going in the light of that. Now, in the same way, uh, the Christian life shows us what God is like. That is like the needle that tells us, okay, that's the way the needle is pointing. So that's how we ought to be going as well. And so the way it works in the Bible is God is kind, and therefore the outworking of that is his people become kind. Now, is that all translated, uh, Jale? Is that uh, understood? Great. So... That is how the Bible works. God helps his people to enjoy the freedom of being like him. But you might say, okay, that's something I can understand. I just can't understand what it's got to do with slaves and with killing people and with oxen. How does that help us live in Dagnum today? And the answer is, we begin to see what God is like in the way he wants us to live. So one thing we can tell about God, you see, we're wanting God to uh, show the way we might be as we look at his life. And what we discover is what God is like through the things that he says here. So first thing we learn about God is that he wants us to think. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to give you instructions for absolutely every situation. No, he gives us instructions for some situations. And then we've got to think how to take principles from there and then live in a different area. So, for example, we don't have oxen that go around hurting people. Okay, But they didn't have pit bull terriers either. You just take the same principle to stop animals hurting others and you apply that same principle into a new situation like ours today. God wants us to think from the Bible, take the principles and apply them in real life situations that you and I are in. God wants us to think. He made us to be like him. Another thing about uh, God is that he wants us to, these laws are there to connect friends, to create friendships. You see, if someone breaks the laws, then a friendship is broken. So if you dig a pit and someone else's animal comes and falls into that pit, 
you're going to be pretty cross with the person who bade the pit. But if you have a rule that says, well, if that happens, he will get you a new animal. He can have the old, now dead one, if he wants, but he gets you a brand new one. Well, then there's no loss suffered and the friends become, become friends again. You see? Fairness fixes friendship. And God's laws, therefore, aim to bring people back together again, where they've been hurt. And another thing about uh, God's laws is that they help us to see what the future is like. Is that Farsi word for future? Good. Um, it's a guess. Well, cunning guess for Google Translate. But there you are. These laws help us to understand the future. Now, it doesn't actually say that these laws are going to help us to understand the future. But when we see what these laws are like, how God wants people to make very careful decisions and to take into account the motives behind actions, when we see that God intends us to make judgments on that basis, we begin to understand how God will be when he judges the whole world in front of him, takes into account motives, is very careful and fair. We begin to see how God's mind works when he comes to judge. So different things that tell us what God is like and now we get into the details. Let's look at what he says about slaves, what he says about justice, and what he says about fairness. First, what he says about slaves. Now, slaves, slave is a bad word. And we don't expect to see slaves amongst God's people because they've been set free. But you look at chapter 22 and verse 1, uh, verse 2, and you talk about Hebrew slaves. And you think, why are these guys slaves again? But when you think about it, it's a very humbling lesson to learn. That once more, God's people have got the same heart as the Egyptians. The Egyptians had slaves and now they're the same as the Egyptians. They've got slaves as well. It's a humbling thing to see that God's the heart of God's people is actually no different to the hearts of others. But God has rescued his people from slavery. And therefore the last thing he's going to let is his people to go back to being slaves again. So what he does is he makes this slavery very different to any slavery they've ever had. The first thing you can see in verse 2 is that he intends slaves to go free. In just six years, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve you for six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. God's intention is for people to enjoy their freedom. And therefore, if in the future, when they live in their new country and one person falls on hard times and they've got to go and work for somebody else to make ends meet and in that sense become slaves. If that happens in the harsh reality of life, 
then that will only last for six years because on the seventh year all debts are cancelled, the man gets his land back, the man gets his property back, the man gets his freedom back, the man gets his life back and he goes free. So always the intention is freedom and how to return to freedom to enjoy it once again. The second thing you learn about, uh, another difference that you learn about this kind of slavery is not only has he got freedom in mind, but it's also got kindness in mind. If you look at verse 3, you find out about uh, a man who might get married if, in verse 4, his master gives him a wife. So you see, the master, rather than creating threats to make the slave stay working for him, what he does instead is to win the slave with kindness. Looks after him, gives him a wife so he can have a family. And at the end of the time, the slave doesn't say, boy, I'm so glad to be leaving that man, he's horrible. He says, I love this man, I want to stay with this man. This is a really good life for me. I want me and my family to keep on working for him. The incentive is kindness, not threat, to keep people uh, back, uh, to, to keep people uh, yeah, to, with, uh, with uh, the places where they're working for. And then another thing you notice in verse 10 is that actually it limits unkindness. So what happens if a person takes a woman but it's not a happy marriage and they separate and in the harsh realities of life he takes another wife. Now that is not something the Bible says is a good thing to do. The Bible says one man, one woman and that's there for life. But in the harsh reality Moses allowed people to divorce and people might be going their separate ways and one the husband might remarry. But you notice even then that there is great care that uh, the woman continues to enjoy. She is provided for, she is protected. So in verse 10, if you have a look, if he takes another man to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. Interesting, isn't it? So she has rights, in this case, presumably to have sex and then have children, her marital rights. Well, they are not to be denied. In this area, she has rights over her husband's body. That is very different to any kind of slavery. Because what that tells us is that this master is not the absolute master. God is the absolute master. And he is drawing people to be like him. To create the conditions in which his people are protected. In which his people are loved. In which people can regain their freedom. That's the kind of God who is behind these words. We also see that uh, there is a sense of justice. Now it seems a big thing to go from slavery to jump to murder in verse 12 because that's what it's talking about. Whoever strikes a man so he dies. But what's the connection? 
I wonder if it's that murder is the ultimate loss of freedom. And therefore, the person who does the murder loses his ultimate freedom to live. But even then, you've got to think. Was the murder provoked or was it planned? Because it might have been provoked. If uh, you look at uh, the situation where uh, a man might uh, strike another, it could be that he is not guilty of murder. It's interesting, isn't it, to see how verse 13 puts it. If he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand. Hey, what's going on here? God is letting someone fall into an assassin's hands. It may be that this man has done something worthy of death and therefore the person who kills him hasn't planned it that way but that's what happens. And if that is the case then do not take his life because I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. And in the Old Testament there were three appointed places, they were called cities of refuge, where a person would go and stay. Now he would lose his freedom because he could only live in that place. But within that place he had maximum freedom to carry on living. Whereas a person who deliberately took another person's life, so you see that uh, is a guilty person in verse 14, because he willfully attacks another and then he tries to cover up his tracks he kills him by cunning well for that, that person there's no place of safety not even if he goes to the altar you're going to take him out of the altar because that's not going to be a safe place either if you take someone's life you've, a person's freedom is uh, going to be taken from him. You will lose yours. That is the God who wants people to live in freedom. And so there is justice for those who take it away. And then lastly, there is this wonderful picture of care. I want to suggest to you that is what is in mind when you read about what happens when an ox uh, goes and hurts somebody else. Now you might think not a lot of that happens in Dagnum. Anyone seen any oxen going down Heathway just recently? No, no. Not much danger of being gored to death by an ox in Dagnum. But then, frankly, there wasn't that much danger. It didn't happen that often in those days either. Okay? Because what we're looking at is not the problem, but the principle... And the principle is that we have a duty of care towards other people and therefore need to keep our animals under control. Forget the problem. Think of the principle and then apply it to our problems today. The whole point of this is, yes, you can't stop an accident happening. If an ox gores someone for the first time, you had no idea that was going to happen. You couldn't stop it. But God says you can stop a repeat 
And that's when someone becomes culpable. That's when someone becomes guilty. So, be fair. There are sometimes to punish, sometimes not to punish. Be fair to other people in the way that you look after it. Now you might say that's an Old Testament uh, problem. Uh, how might we bring it into the New Testament? Well, let me tell you that say, um, say Santa gives this little child uh, your first salon hairdressing set. Okay? And it just so happens that after that box has been tested and everything's been through all the safety checks and yet when the child uses it the little toy electric hairdryer um, overheats and sets the whole house on fire okay that is different to the man who goes out and buys um, military surplus flamethrowers on the cheap and then packages them on the Christmas market as children's hair dryers. Okay? There's a slight difference in uh, blame at that point. And the person has a duty of care not to go and hurt anybody else. You get the point, I think. So we need to be careful how we handle people and that fairness principle is there again and again. You see it in verses 23 to 25 when you get that uh, uh, there must be no harm. And if there is harm, you should pay life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, stripe for stripe. In other words, there's got to be absolute fairness when you're dealing with consequences. Because if you're too lenient, then it's not fair. But equally, if you're too severe, well, that's not fair either. If you let someone get away scot-free, well, that's not going to be fair on the person who was hurt. But at the same time, if you go and seek revenge, and instead of one eye, you say, okay, I'm going to get two eyes, well, that's not fair on uh, the person who did the wrong either. So, fairness. When we talk about eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, this is something that is given in Exodus 21 to make sure there are f there's fairness in the law court. And when Jesus is said, so you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I'll tell you, if a person t slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other one also. Why? Because when it comes to personal relationships, we don't use the ruling from the law court. Our new system is to use the principle of love, where we don't retaliate. And so there is to be this uh, fairness in the courtroom, and uh, people will get on better when there is. So what can we learn from that today as uh, we finish? First, I think, is that there is a fantastic world of freedom the Bible brings us into. It may be that you've thought about Christianity in the past and you've thought about Christianity being layers upon layers upon layers of rules. 
And you say, I don't want my life to be full of rules about this and that and the other. And what we discover when we look at God's rules is that we need the rules to keep the friendships. Because fairness grows friendship. When there's no fairness, friendships are lost. And so therefore, there is the need for us to regulate and be careful how we deal with each other. Now, the big question is not, do I have to live under these rules? The big question is, where do the rules come from? Because if the rules come from God to us, then the glorious result is that we will become more like Him. That's the freedom that God wants to give us. Not to shackle us down with rules, but to throw open the door for people to show His character in our relationships. And my friends, if you're not a Christian, that is a lovely world to step into and live in. That's why we urge people to come under the rule of God. So that there is going to be a new freedom like that. But what happens if you've been to church lots and lots? And you know all this stuff. Well, let me tell you, there's a group of people in the Bible who could say the same thing. They're called Pharisees. And Pharisees kept the rules in the way that a very skillful person can put an Ikea cupboard together. You know how it is? People working with an Ikea cupboard, they look at the pictures, they follow the instructions, they make the cupboard, and there isn't a single screw left over. How do they do that? Okay. They've obviously been following the rules very carefully. People can be very clever at keeping different rules. And the Pharisees were really good at keeping rules too. And today, where we have people who are brilliant at keeping the rules, especially in church on Sunday, they know exactly what to sing, they exactly know what, exactly what page number to go to, they know exactly how to pray, they do all the right things in all the right ways. But what is missed is an understanding that the rules are there to bring relationship. And if you look at the people of God in the Bible, you can see they need these rules because they are going to be living very close to each other. If you don't have close relationships, if you don't see someone from one week to the next, you don't need the rules that govern how you're going to be living and how your ox might be close to the other person's pit and how damage might be sustained because you are so close to each other that things can go wrong. And therefore, we are committed not to a Pharisee type of, yeah, I'm a Christian on Sundays and uh, I, I tick all the right boxes. We need to be careful of people who do services and call it Christianity. If they don't do relationships with the people of God that they are amongst, uh, they might call themselves Christians. 
and the Pharisees would be in the same boat, calling themselves God's people, but never really in love with God's people and close to them. Be careful of that trap. The rules are meant to bring relationship. And then lastly, you might say, well, what happens if I am a real believer? What can I learn from this part of the Bible for my life today? Let me suggest to you that whenever you read the Bible, there is always one lesson to always learn, and that is humility. Where is this part of the Bible exposing my life? as being a life that is far away from God. My friends, that is the healthiest question to ask whenever you open the Bible. Humble me, God. Please show me how I'm not like you. And when you look at this passage, you begin to see, don't you, how easy it is for God's people to go back into the old ways. Yeah, they've come out of slavery, but now they're putting people back into slavery again. One of the amazing ways in which God shows us our weakness is to show us how quickly we go back into old patterns of life. And it is so healthy for us to begin to realize that, to humble ourselves in the light of that, and to seek God's help to enjoy freedom instead. Freedom that uh, lives as a church family to care for ourselves and care for others in our state. In other words, to go out and want God-given freedom for the whole of our estate to enjoy. To want people to stay, not because of rules, but because there's a magnetic kindness that says, I don't ever want to leave. And a wonderful um, fairness that is constantly looking at how I can treat you fairly, not looking after my own interests, but saying, this is something I want for you. If I'm loaded up with my own interests, I will start skewing things my way. If I'm loaded up for fairness, I will want to be looking at your interests as much as I look at mine. That's the new community that God brings about. That is the new community that is just to be found nowhere else. And that is the new community that reflects the kingdom of God because it, it reflects the kindness of God. As he has dealt with us, so we live with others. Well, let's uh, learn those lessons and uh, hold on to them and uh, we'll uh, uh, stop and uh, pray for a minute. Then I'll close in prayer and then please ask questions you would like to or make comments that you would like to at that point. Let's first have a moment when we uh, just uh, pray together and quietly and privately. Well, our minute's up, so let me uh, pray as we finish. Our great God, forgive us for the quick way we go back 
to repeating patterns that we've learnt from the world. And please, Father, would you help us to be drawn into your likeness as we listen to what you tell us in Scripture. Please, would you help us to value the free life as a life that looks like yours. Please help us to value the kind life where rather than threats, we win through the incentive of kindness. And please will you help us to live the fair life that not, is not selfishly looking after our own interests, but constantly is out to serve the interests of others. So that we love our neighbour as ourself. Help us, we pray, to live in these ways to the honour and glory of your very precious name. Amen. Amen.